Romans, the 10th chapter. We started a series last week uh, called Two Places. And uh, these two places are in the mouth and in the heart. And so we're going to begin reading, and we're going to just do a little bit of review and go further. And like we said last week, you may have heard these truths before, but if you'll pay attention, it, uh, there will be something that you will get. God will do something. God will teach you. God will work in you. And uh, this, these principles that we're about to talk about, and we got into a little bit of detail last week, are actually foundational principles for receiving and walking in anything God has for you. And so Romans 10.8 is where we're going to start, and we're going to read just a few verses, and we're going to recap and then move on. But notice this in verse 8. This is our introduction scripture. It says, but what does it say? And what's he talking about here in Romans 10.8? He's talking about the Bible. What does it say? What does the Bible say? This is huge. This could revolutionize your whole life. It says, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now, Paul wrote this, we believe. And he said, it's what we preach. It wasn't just his exclusive message. And notice it, he called it something. He said, this is the word of faith which we preach. What is the word of faith that he preached? He said this, the word is, needs to be or is in two places or needs to be in two places in the believer. He said, the word, what's the word? The Bible the word is near you, but he said it's in your mouth and in your heart. Well, that's important to know because that is what they taught. It's in your mouth, that's this, and it's in your heart or in the core of your being. And so notice, though, he said this is what we preach. What's near you? The Word. What, what Christ has bought. What Christ has paid for. How God operates. What God does. The Bible. These truths. He said, this is the message we preach. He said, it's near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. And so we went through these verses, and we'll recap real quick, and we won't go into great detail. But notice verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth. Notice here as we read on these next verses, he starts adding to what he said previously. He said the word has to be in your mouth and it has to be in your heart. Then he starts to describe how it's in your mouth and how it's in your heart. Notice he said in verse 9, he said that if, so that's a qualifying factor, if, that's not an absolute. That doesn't mean it's automatic. If, in other words, if I strike a match, it will burn. If I throw it in the gas, we'll have a real good fire right? But those are totally ifs. There's potential, but not an absolute. Somebody said, oh, it will burn. 
if you throw it in the gas. But if you don't, it won't. So if, notice he said the word is near you, mouth, heart. Then he said, if you confess with your mouth. Notice that in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth. So notice he adds the word confess to mouth. He connects something that is in your mouth. It's in your mouth. But how is it in your mouth? It's confessed or coming out of your mouth. Like we said last week, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's right there. It's right there. It's on the tip of my tongue. But what does that mean? You don't know what's there, but they just know it's something, but it hasn't come out. So he adds here a word to mouth, and he adds a word to heart, which is confess with your mouth. Notice that, that if you confess with your mouth, and the Lord Jesus, and notice this, he said, believe in your heart. So he adds to mouth and heart two words, confess with the mouth, believe with the heart. So notice he said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And as we read on, he's going to tell you why it needs to, verse 8, be in your mouth and heart, the word, and why or how it's supposed to be in your mouth by confessing it and how it's supposed to be in your heart by believing it. But he's going to take it a step further and say why this has to be the way it is. You cannot just have it in your mouth and have it in your heart so to speak, without doing these things. In other words, I can know the word in my heart, but if I don't get it out of my mouth, then I'm not meeting each condition. It won't work for me. It won't work for you. But notice he takes it a step further and gives some explanation about the mouth, the heart, the mouth confessing, the heart believing. Notice he said in verse 10, for with the heart one believes, notice this, unto, notice this, unto, unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Or in other words, this is how you get from God. You Believe in your heart what he has said. Is that all you need to do? Just if you believe in your heart? No. And what is it you're believing in your heart? His word. What, and what is his word about? About what he did. How he operates. How he does things. In other words, his great grace. That truth needs to be in your heart. But he said it can't just be in your heart, and how does it need to be there? You believe it in your heart, and then you confess it with your mouth, and that confession brings you unto the reality of it or having it in your life. That's how people get born again. 
But here's the thing. That is not the only thing. It's not just salvation in the sense of I prayed and received Jesus. These are the underlying principles that you see in Hebrews when they possessed the land and they obtained promises. This is the underlying principle by how Jesus taught prayer. And so as we move on, and like I said, we're not going to go into great detail into these like we did last week. Then from the 11th verse on to the 17th verse, he gives description about how to make this work or get the word in your heart. And then in verse uh, 17 or verse 16 and 17, he makes two big statements. He said, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Obey literally means respond to it. Accept it accept it as their own. For Isaiah says, who has believed our report? Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now understand this, the underlying principle of whatever we're going to teach on this subject or any subject is going to be the validity of God's word. That's it, period. The validity of God's word. The world can change, but God's word will not change. If God's word changed, everything is dead. And if God can't protect his Bible, somebody says, it's been translated so many times, that is a false statement in itself, and it's human reasoning to, to depart from the word. I mean, it's not like, you know, that game where you tell somebody, you know, you know, you make a phrase like, a pink giraffe made a phone call. And then they tell the person, they tell the person, by the time there, it's a red Corvette. You know, by the time it, get, it gets changed. That's not how they do it. They don't just translate from the next one. They go back to manuscripts. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, it's not me writing a note down. And I tweak one word, and then I hand it to her, and she writes a note and goes, well, that's not a proper, you know, I'm going to change it. And she writes it, and somebody else goes, you know, and hands it, she hands it off to somebody else. And then, then she goes, well, it would be more simplified if we just reduced it to here. That's not how it's translated. And here's the thing. If God is God, he's big enough to protect his book. If he's going to make men accountable to it, he can protect it. Yeah, out there. It's interesting, you know, people uh, who say, well, it's just been translated so many times. You know, I'm not, I just am going to accept the word. But in archaeology, they found these Dead Sea Scrolls. They found basically the book of Isaiah intact and have looked at it and found it matches the book of Isaiah. And it was written before, you know, the New Testament was written. So if they find stuff like that and it tells the validity who are you going to believe? But nonetheless, if you will, turn with me, and we're just going to review here real quick one more verse of Scripture before we move on. Hebrews 6, because this is important to the underlying theme of these two places. Because remember, there's three things he was saying. He said, the Word is near you. So what's he talking about? the truth of God's Word, but then he said it's it is in your 
mouth and in your heart, then there's further description in that. So Hebrews 6, let's look at this verse of Scripture. Let's let these words, like Jesus said, sink down into our hearing. And uh, we touched on this a little bit last week. We're going to look at this and move on. Hebrews 6.13, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Now, we went into detail about this, and we won't give a lot of detail to it today. But basically what he's saying was, you know, like when people swear, and we'll look at this because it'll talk about it, they swear that, you know, you've ever met somebody or you're in the playground when you're a kid and, and they say, I swear on my mother's grave. I, I swear I'll give you my bike because that bike is of value. It's greater. And then they'll say, I swear to God. Well, what are they saying? And even in the courts today, they'll whip out a Bible. We don't believe in God in our society. We don't believe in any of that. But then we'll put a Bible out there and say, you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. What are we saying? That's the standard. People knew what was in there before. And so they put their hand on it. They went, I am invoking a greater source, a greater power who watches over me. I got to tell the truth. And so when he said this here, he said, when God made a promise to Abraham, he made a promise because he could swear by no one greater. We all can. Now, we're told not to. We're told to just let our yes be yes and our no, no, lest we fall into condemnation and judgment. So we're just to be straightforward with our words and be truthful. But here, he said, because he couldn't swear by anyone greater, he just, you know, he, God can't go, I swear to Oh, that's me. He can't swear to God because he is God. But how many people swear to God? I'm not endorsing this. I'm just saying it's a fact. Even in the world, people swear to God. And how many people will say, okay, you're going to do this and swear to God you're going to do it? Don't we hear that? And so what he's saying is, for when he made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely. God doesn't have to say surely or absolutely. He doesn't have to. Why does he not? Because later on we'll see he cannot lie. So why would he need to say surely or absolutely or I'm telling you the truth if he can't lie. Why? There's no reason to reinforce your words if you are a truth teller. No reason to. There's no reason for me to say, come on, you got to believe me if my words are all true. And he said here, saying, surely... Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. In other words, people quit arguing, people quit bickering, 
people know it's a done deal when you say, I swear to God, or I promise on this, or I promise on something greater. It's a done deal in their eyes. God's bigger than that. You out there? And so it says, men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for them, for confirmation, is for them. In other words, that's all they need. That's good enough. An oath for confirmation for them is an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs, that's every believer, the heirs of promise, the immutability or literally unchangeability or unchangeableness of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. How did he confirm it? He, he went back and said it again. And he made these promises and he said, surely this is how it's going to happen. And men go, that's good enough. And so God did it for man. Notice verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. In other words, if God says something, it would go against his character to even change what he said. He'll never say it. Unless he means it. Never. Ever. There's nothing in the Bible that he's going to go, well, you know, changing that. Now you understand, we know that there was an old covenant that was going to be updated, because, but he told us that way back then. We know that. So he even said it back then, so when it happened, we'd know. I mean, he's coming again. He said it, that will not change no matter what. Because his word is not a lie. And so if you notice here, he said that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope or the expectation set before us. Then he goes on to talk about how this is an anchor to our soul. So the Word of God is key. But where is it key? What is key to it? The key to the Word of God for the believer or the lost person is believing it in their heart and then saying it with their mouth. That's what gets somebody out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. But that's how all believers are to walk. Didn't the Bible say the just shall live by faith. Well, these are the principles by which faith happens or how it works. And so what I want to do is I want to go further today. And I want to talk about the heart. And I want to talk about how you can manage your heart. You are responsible for your own heart. <clears throat> if there is anything you are responsible for, it is your heart. You can't ask God, you know, David said, create in me a clean spirit. But in the New Testament, you don't see that. As a matter of fact, you'll see statements like this, purify your own heart, you double-minded, in James. You're responsible for your own heart. Why is this important? Proverbs said in 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues of life. Well, we know by the verses we just read in Romans 
with the heart man believes unto. And it's not just what you say, but it's what you say that's connected to what you believe in your heart. People can open their heart, and I'm talking about Christians. People, Christians can close their heart. Christians can have a hard heart. And, and, and here's the thing. And Christians can have a tender heart. And people don't always know how, so people have said, well, you're hard-hearted. I remember meeting a guy one time, and he was at a prayer meeting. I knew him and his wife and, and his kids, and he just kept going on how he was so hard-hearted. And after talking to him, I said, you just are not hard-hearted. How did you come up with that idea? He said, well, you know, I was at this place, and these people prayed over me, and they said, your problem is you're hard-hearted. He just adopted it. And he just went around telling people, I'm hard-hearted, I'm hard-hearted, I'm hard-hearted. Well, what do you do to get tender-hearted? I'm just hard-hearted. That's just how you get to live your life. I talked to him for five minutes. He adopted what I said, and he didn't believe he was hard-hearted anymore. It shouldn't be that way that we just accept things. But sometimes we give definitions to ourselves and identify ourselves as certain things, and, and we may not even be that. And what if somebody's hard-hearted? Can you become tender-hearted? Does it take six months? Does it take six years? What if you're tender-hearted? How long does it take for you to get hard-hearted? Six months, six years, ten years? What's the process by becoming tender-hearted and hard-hearted? Is it quickly changed? If I was hard-hearted and I've got to believe in my heart, and it's hard toward God and His things, then I'm going to have a tough time getting results. Can I become tender-hearted real quick? Can I get real hard-hearted real quick? What, what's this process? Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews. Now, Proverbs said, guard your heart. So that's something you can do. How would I guard my heart? Well, in the context, we know it has to do with your thinking. Your heart really is your attitude and response to God. That is your heart, and we're going to see this in a second. How you respond to God, not by going, oh, I love you, but how you respond to what he says to you is actually your heart. That's, it shows your heart. It shows you yourself how your heart is, and, and you can actually choose to change like that. I mean, in a second, you can change from being hard-hearted to tender-hearted. I mean, in a second. Now, here's the thing. Don't accept what I say. Don't accept it. That's why we said, anybody want a Bible? Would like to borrow a Bible? Raise your hand so you could open it up and put your beady eyes on there. Right? Maybe you got bug eyes. I don't know. Whatever kind of eyes you got so you can look at it. Oh, or you got it on your bio, on your phone or your pad, you know, 
whatever. I don't know, bring your laptop. Whatever it is you're looking. Because you need to know or you could be led astray. Notice this in Hebrews. And we'll begin reading in the fourth chapter, third chapter. We're going to read a couple of verses. And we're going to talk about things Jesus said. Now, the Bible is inspired by God, but we're going to talk about what Jesus said and about being tender-hearted or certain things, you know, gave commandments in areas. And we're going to look at some different scriptures about how to get tender-hearted and how to be hard-hearted. Somebody said, I don't want to be hard-hearted. I don't need to learn about that. You do need to learn about it. Because it's part of the full counsel of God. Paul said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I didn't forsake to share the full counsel. Not just the part you want to hear, but the full counsel of God. And so we want to tell you the whole truth. And the reason we do that is so you can be thoroughly furnished, like the Bible said, unto every good work. And so we're going to talk about how to get hard-hearted. How many of you want to get hard-hearted today? Whoa, glory to God. I want to. No, you don't want to get hard hearted. How many of you want to be tender hearted? Oh, that's me. That's what I've been praying about. Well, it don't matter. You can pray all you want, and you're not going to get tender hearted. And you can pray all you want, and you're not going to get hard hearted. Now, don't get mad at me. It's real easy. I'm telling you, when we get done with this, you're going to go, that. Is super easy. Hebrews, the third chapter. And I'm in Ephesians, the third chapter. So there's good stuff there, too. We're just not going to be there today. Notice these different verses in Hebrews, the third chapter, in the seventh and eighth verse. Now, if you read the book of Hebrews, if you want some help in reading the book of Hebrews, you'll notice this as you read through. It has a lot to do with what God said to these people and how they were responding to it. It starts off by, you know, the first verse, how God at various times and in various ways, the King James said at sundry times and, you know, in various manners spoke unto, you know, and then it talks about angels speaking and God speaking and, and he goes on about this and, and now he's about to give an illustration in this third chapter, really into the fourth chapter, about the children of Israel being, being brought out of Egypt and hearing from God and then them hardening their heart. And it is a picture or a type of believers. He's basically telling these believers, don't harden your heart. And we're going to look and see how they hardened their heart so we don't have to harden our heart. It's going to be real simple. Notice this. Verse 7, Therefore... As the Holy Spirit says, today, remember I said you don't have to wait six weeks. That's pretty good. You don't have to wait two days. He didn't say in two days. He said today. What matters in your life is today. What you're going to do today. Concerning your heart and how it is, what's real important is today. 
And when tomorrow comes, you know what's going to be important? Today. Somebody said, well, what about in a month? Well, when you get there, it'll be today. So this matters today. Not, I'm, I'm hearing this today and I'll do it tomorrow. Actually, if you say, I'm hearing this today, but I'm going to do it tomorrow, you're actually following, falling into the negative side of it. Hear me. If you hear what I say here, and you say, this is a great principle, I'm going to do it next week, but I'm going to hold off doing it today, then you're going to fall into the negative side of it. But if you do what he says and do it today, you will be on the positive part of it. That's what we want, right? We all want that, not the negative side. This is a real personal thing right here that we're about to talk about. Notice he said, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... This is God and Him speaking or dealing with these individuals. Today. Everybody say, today. Now let's try that again. Everybody say, say it again. Today. When? Today. Not tomorrow. Today. That'll help you. Today. If you will hear his voice. So what's the first thing? Today, if God deals with you, or when God deals with you, when he deals with you, when you know he dealt with you. Here's an interesting thing. If you read the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, it says everyone who is born of God, God deals with. Everyone. There aren't exclusive believers. As a matter of fact, the Bible said, if you're not dealt with, you're illegitimate, you're not a child. you got to get born again. And then everyone who's saved is dealt with by God. Everyone. Nobody is excluded. So when people say, well, I don't hear from the Lord then you're not saved. But Jesus said, My sheep know my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. The problem is, is when people are looking for an audible voice instead of dealings on the inside. And just having that witness like the Bible said. Now, he can speak that way, but a majority of the leadings of God are going to come by an inward witness, as Romans talks about. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. That's hearing from heaven. You ever read a verse, and all of a sudden, you read it before, and then you read over it, and you went, "Woo! oh my. Well, it wasn't in your head. Something went off in you. He started dealing with you and speaking to you, but it wasn't like, hey, look at the verse, you know. It was an inward knowing. It was a witness. John said this in his letters. He said everyone born of God has the witness in himself. So when he leads you, you'll just know that you know inside. You ever known something? I need to do, you just knew it inside. 
and you're like, oh, I got to do, I know, I know, I know. You know, people go to buy a house, you know, Christians, they'll walk in, nah, then I walked in, I just knew. And so when he's talking about today, if you hear his voice, he's talking about knowing and recognizing him dealing with you. If everybody in here is saved, everybody is dealt with by God. No exception. None. None. Not one. Everyone is dealt with by God. But, is that the end, being dealt with by God? There are not people in here that are saved that have not been dealt with by God. I've dealt with people who said, yeah, I knew I was supposed to, but I didn't do it. I knew I was supposed to, and I did it. Those two statements are what we're going to look at today. They are actually the determining factor of the condition of your heart on a daily basis. Notice he said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. He's talking about the children of Israel. How did they harden their heart? Well, they got commands, they knew what to do, and they went, no. They didn't do it. My response to God's dealings determines the condition of my heart. He said, do not harden your heart like they did. If God deals with me and I don't do it, I have hardened my heart toward him. Does that mean you're not saved? No. No, you're still saved. But you harden your heart. Why? Because you chose not to do it. My response to him in obedience or disobedience to his leadings determines my heart right then. Notice he said, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. What did they do? They heard God and they didn't act in line with what he said. How many people think that those small dealings matter not? Pray. Quit wasting all your time doing this. You just know it. That don't matter. Do you know that indecision is a decision and you're hardening yourself? Oh my goodness, I need to pray. I'm scared now. No! Do. Act. Notice that's not the only place. Verse 15, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You know, the Bible talks about people, you know, God and the government's being set up. And if you do right, you don't have to be afraid. In other words, if you're driving the speed limit, you don't have to be afraid on the freeway. Right? But if you're going 95, better floor it. Hopefully you can outrun them because you're in trouble. No, that's not the answer. But you understand what I'm saying. You're in trouble. If you drive speed limit, you're, you're good. If you do what's posted. If we do what's posted, we're good. So in other words, if I am perpetually not doing what I know, but I'm saved, 
my heart is actually hard. That could be a problem. How would I remedy it? Well, let's read this one, verse 15. For while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Notice now he's calling it the rebellion. He's calling the hardening of the heart the rebellion. The hardening of the heart, he's connecting to the rebellion. Nobody wants to hear that term, but how many people, you know, are believers and know what they're supposed to do, but they don't do it? That's the hardening of the heart, and it's connected to the rebellion. That's my own attitude. It's my own response. Why is this important? Because with the heart, man believes unto. And if I've got my heart in a bad position, I need to fix it and fix it now. What do I need to do? Fast? No. Pray? No. Act on what he dealt with you about. So notice this. In Hebrews, this is a familiar verse of Scripture, Hebrews 4.12. It's all in the same context. For the Word of God is, a living, is, is living and powerful. Now, he's not necessarily here talking about the written Word, but God speaks to us out of the written Word, but He also deals with us too. You with me? For the Word of God is a living, powerful thing. And it's sharper than any uh, two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. And, is, and of joints and In other words, it cuts deeper than any knife. They can only cut into the flesh, but this cuts down internally. What is God's dealings? And is a discerner or literally a judge of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When the Word of God comes to us, how we respond to it really shows our heart. But here's the thing. You can change your heart like that by going, if you just, no, I'm not, and you just haven't done what he said, and you, I'm just not doing what he said, I'm just, I'm just not doing what he said. You know, all it takes is to have a tender heart is a decision to obey and then obey. Obey what? What he says and what he's dealing with you about. Then you're, then you're tenderhearted. So if you totally know that you have a clean uh, conscience before him and you're just obeying him, you have a tender heart. You are in a good place. You are in a good place in God. You are in a wonderful place with God because you just have a step of now accepting. And here's the thing. If I'm disobeying his promptings and then I try to read his word, and, but I've been disobeying here, I've already hardened and closed my heart up. Paul said, open your heart. He said, my heart is wide open. Well, how do I open my heart? By responding in obedience. God will let you move forward in disobedience, but he will deal with people. Sometimes they can get so far away from it, they don't even almost recognize it. But if you'll look back and go, am I doing what he dealt with me to do? And if I am, your heart will be tender. Your life will be growing with God right now. This is actually, according to Hebrews 5, the last part of the chapter, how you train yourself to grow in God. You out there? So notice this. 
We looked at that. He'll deal with our hearts. Notice John 13, very familiar verse of Scripture. Jesus was about to introduce a new covenant to man. It's called the new covenant. It's the new way. It was the one that was bought through his blood and not the covering of the blood of animals and all that stuff. This new covenant. The old covenant had the Ten Commandments. They were the ruling laws of the covenant. The new testament, new commandment, has a new governing law or rule. And it is this rule we're about to read. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Well, they had the old ones, but now for this new walk. Now, what are we talking about? The heart. Heart issues. Notice this. He's giving a commandment. What's a commandment? His word to the people who walk in the new covenant. Who walks in the new covenant? The, this new life? The believer. Notice John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. So what's the new commandment? Love. Love. Do we all know that? Love. You know, people in religious sects and stuff like this say, oh, Christianity is just like everything else. You know, it teach you to love and live at peace and all. No, no, no. This love is a governing rule of the new covenant. This is a love that is from God, that is patient, that is kind, that is forgiving, that is not envious, that is not full of strife. And so what is this that he gave? A commandment. What is a commandment? A suggestion? No. It is what he said. Now hear me, we've been reading, today if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. In other words, act in line with what I'm saying and your heart will be tender. If you don't, it will get hard. It, gets, it becomes hard. Why? Because really what you're doing is opposing him when you oppose his leading and dealing. So the minute I change, I become tender. And how do I do that? I make a decision to follow it and do it. You out there? So Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Remember, what he said was a commandment. What he commanded was his word, and he wanted them to do this, right? And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You with me? Don't harden your heart. So notice this. Hebrew, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, verse 32. And be kind. Well, we know the Bible said, the first thing the Bible says is in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, right? Everybody there? Because you want, want to find this. Ephesians 4, chapter 32nd verse. <clears throat> and be kind. To one another, what's that next phrase? Tender-hearted. 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 Notice the next phrase, forgiving. One another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So we all know there's a commandment to love. When I 
act in line with it, what am I doing? I'm being tenderhearted. When they heard and didn't act in line, they were being, they were creating a hard heart, a closed heart. Why is this so important? Because once again, with the heart, man believes. We want our heart in a good place. I know people say this, and you don't hear me say it, but I'm going to say it. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. You heard people say that about Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, if it's a relationship, then God deals with you. And if you're going to walk in a good relationship with Him, you're going to have to respond to Him. And how do you respond? By saying yes or no? No, because Jesus said this one time. He said a man was there. And uh, he, he, he shared this story and then asked his disciples, well, who was justified? The man who said, Lord, I will do it, and then left and didn't do it? Or the man who said, I'm not going to do it, but left, and it said he recanted and did it. He said, which one is justified? And then Peter, I believe it was, responded and said, the one who left and did it. Jesus said, that's right for $500. In other words, it was the one who did it. That's just a choice. That's in the possession of everybody. That, that's, that's good news. Because you can't make me hard-hearted. I can't make you. It's not my fault you're hard-hearted. It's not my fault you're tender-hearted. It's my fault if I'm hard-hearted or it's my fault if I'm tender-hearted. How long does it take today when you know what God's dealing with you about? You do it. That's, that's good news. I said, um, that's good news. Why? Because this affects your whole life. I wrote a couple of things down. My response is my heart. In other words, what I do is really my heart. <clears throat> Hear that. What I do is really my heart. It's good to know. Because then we peel back all the stuff and it, it's not all fake and, oh, it's real deal. And you make the connection with God and that's it. Don't judge my heart. I don't have to. Your actions make it what it is. What actions? By keeping a lot of commandments and rules? No. Just when he deals with you out of his word or in your spirit, you obey. I remember when I came to the church I was at in California, I went to one church, and uh, when I got out of Bible school, and the preacher was talking about how, you know, God had taken this person because they fell off the back of a motorcycle and got hit while they were chasing the cops, you know, being chased by the cops, and, and God wanted another angel all this stuff, and I sat there and thought, God didn't knock somebody off a motorcycle while they were being chased by a cop so he could get run over 
so that he could get another angel because we don't become angels and God's not knocking people off motorcycles. And I just thought, I can't live here and hear this stuff and I'll starve to death. I will. So I went to this other church and uh, I felt like I should go. So I went and I sat in the service. But when I walked in the door, I knew it was right. I knew it. Just had a, it was like home. But here's the thing. Nobody was friendly. Nobody, I mean, it's just like everybody was like in their own circle. I just walked right in. It's like, you know, you just walk right out. Well, that's okay. I could determine by other things, things being appropriate or not, or I could determine to respond and it will affect my heart. That's true in every area of life. Things don't have to be perfect to obey. You just must do. There's no reason to wait because waiting is hardening. I know people don't appreciate that, but, and I don't talk like this a lot, but it's still the truth. But responding is being tender. So I wrote that down. My response is my heart and determines the future and present condition of it, not the past condition. Hear that. My response today does not determine my past condition. It will determine my present and future condition. My past response was what determined where I'm at today. You with me? It's good. That's good. What I did in the past, that determined the past. What I do today does not determine the past. It determines my heart today. That's why I said today. But that being said, I can do This is good news. And here's the thing. Don't get caught up on your past. Don't get caught up in yesterday. Don't get caught up in a month ago. Positive or negative, do what's right and your heart will become tender. You ever thought, where is my Christian walk? Where has it gone? You ever wondered, where did it go? Where did that vibrancy go? Where did that vitality go? Where did that intimacy go? This is it. This is it. Where did it go? Or, or you might say, man, mine's so vibrant. Mine's so good. It's so alive. Then if you will just turn back in the pages, so to speak, of your life, you'll notice you've been practicing this. When he deals, you've said yes. And not just say, you act.